0: Hello, I'm Alec and this is Scandal 101. happy Friday, and happy October. I hope that your first day of October is going super duper well. I have a midterm tomorrow, so that is not exciting, but I'm excited to check that box off my to-do list. I have been super preoccupied with studying for midterms, so honestly, I've not really been keeping up with the news as much as I normally like to do. Um, I did see just today that that there was a huge sex scandal with the WHO World Health Organization. No idea what's going on with that, but that's what I'm seeing right now at the time of this recording. The only other thing I'm going to say before we jump in is at the end... I am going to be reading a scandal that was sent in by someone, so look forward to that at the end, and if you have your own scandal that you want talked about at the end of the podcast on the next episode or future episodes, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, we are going to jump right in, and the topic for this episode is Hollywood's first scandal. Generally, I am not... I mean, I do find celebrity scandals interesting, but I feel like there are so many other untold scandals that are, I guess, more worth my time, and I think more worth everybody else's time to be informed about. Um, But this one has a lot to it, and it's more than just, oh, this person is dating this person. It's a lot lot more involved than that. This whole scandal circles around one person whose name is Fatty Artbuckle. His nickname is Fatty, and we'll get to that in a minute. So this information is coming from Dr. Howard Markle's reporting from PBS. Roscoe Conkling Arbuckle was Fatty's full name. He was born in Smith Center, Kansas on March 24th, 1887. His family moved to LA when he was eight years old. So why did he have the nickname Fatty? It's not something that I just made up because I'm mean. (laughs) Um, When he was born, he weighed more than 13 pounds. Um, ouch, I'm not one, I'm not a person who is ever going to have to give birth. Yeah, birth is painful, but a 13 pound baby, I can't even, nope. After his family moved to LA, uh, people in school were teasing him about his size, and that is when he got the nickname Fatty, and clearly the name stuck because that was his show business name. A few years down the road, a vaudeville troupe was visiting in town, and asked Fatty to perform with them. According to that PBS article, he loved the applause that he got, and from then on, quote, was typecast as a comical, lovable, portly juvenile, end quote. He became a big hit on the vaudeville circuits, and just in case you're not sure what a vaudeville is, I wasn't (laughs) before looking it up. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, a vaudeville is, quote, a light entertainment popular from the mid-1890s until the early 1930s that consisted of 10 to 15 unrelated acts featuring musicians, acrobats, comedians, trained animals, jugglers, singers, and dancers, end quote. It honestly sounds kind of cool. Just like an all-around entertaining thing sounds like there's a little bit for everybody. So he was doing his thing on the circuits when he was discovered by Paramount Pictures in 1914. According to that PBS article, he was paid $1,000 per day. And then on top of that, he was earning 25% of the film's royalties. I did the inflation calculation just to see how much money that would be today. I think $1,000 a day would be a lot of money now, but how that translates to today is $27,300 per day in today's money is the equivalent of what he was making back then. He was starring in silent movies and they were this super popular film type of of the time. In 1918, Paramount offered him a little bit of a pay bump, three million dollars for three years of work. And during that three-year period, he was to be in 18 silent movies over the next three years. Yeah, so 18 movies over three years, about averaging out six movies per year. And today, that money would be worth or it would be the equivalent of seventy-eight point one million dollars for three years of work. And one interesting thing that will tie in later is apparently a Fatty Arbuckle mentor- mentored Charlie Chaplin. Alrighty, so that's that's who Fatty Arbuckle is. That's our one of our main characters for this scandal and now leading up to the big event according to gilbert king's reporting for the smithsonian magazine arbuckle's friend named fred fishback was wanting to throw a big party to celebrate arbuckle's success in the show business and then also just for reference fatty arbuckle is 34 uh, at the time of this happening just so you are you can like kind of picture. 34-year-old actor, his nickname is Fatty. I'm going to post a picture of him on the social media, but that's that's who the main character is. So his friend Fid- Fred Fishbach was wanting to throw him a big party. Just an introduction to Fred, pulling from his Wikipedia page, he was quote, a film director, actor, screenwriter, and producer of the silent area, end quote. So everyone in this scandal is going to be pretty heavily involved in the show business regardless of, of if they're an actor, producer, You know, whatever, they're all involved in the show business. The party was going to take place over Labor Day weekend, 1921, at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. From that Smithsonian article, the days before the party, the days leading up to the party, didn't go super well for Fatty. He was having his car serviced, you know, just a normal routine car service, when at the shop, he sat down on an acid-soaked rag... (laughs) At, like, why was an acid-soaked rag just laying around at the garage? And it was so acidic and strong that it burned through his pants to his butt and caused second-degree burns. Yikes. Arbuckle was wanting to cancel the trip because of this, and in my mind, justifiably so, because you have now second-degree burns on your butt. Ouch. <laughs> but... His friend, Fred, was like, you know what, fatty, I've got you. So his friend got a rubber padded ring for him to sit on during the long car ride. And then after that, they drove up the coast to the hotel. And then again, this was in 1921. So today, San Francisco to LA, I think is like a five or six hour drive today. So imagine how long that would have been in 1921. From the PBS article mentioned earlier, there was a lot of alcohol that was being brought to this party, and this party happened in 1921, which was during the era of Prohibition, where alcohol was illegal. Fred, who was Fatty's friend, was the one who brought along the booze, and he also brought, quote, "...lots of eager starlets and music," end quote. There were a lot of up-and-coming actresses there at the party, and one of those actresses was Virginia Rapp. So, who is Virginia Rapp? According to multiple sources and you can find the show notes on the website, I'll link those at the end. Rap was someone who had a long a long promising career ahead of her. From Clemens Michelin's reporting for Independent, Rap was both a model and an actress and had been uh, in 13 movies up until that point. She was also someone who fought for women's in- women's equality and rights. So not only was she talented, but she was someone who was fighting for something that she was passionate about. So it sounds like she was definitely someone who had a bright bright future ahead of her <laughs> and the fact that I'm saying that can probably give you some foreshadowing as what's, as to what's going to happen. So this party was taking place at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. According to Jennifer Rosenberg's reporting for ThoughtCo, the rooms were checked into and the rooms were 1219, 1220, and 1221. Those were on the 12th floor of the hotel and the party was going to be taking place on Monday, September 5th, 1921, which was Labor Day that year. Okay, so just so you can picture kind of how the rooms are set up, imagine like you're drawing a big rectangle. On one side of the rectangle is room 1219, which is a bedroom and a bathroom, and then in the middle is room 1220, which is kind of like a sitting room, it's a main room where the party is, and then room 1221 is on the other side of the rectangle, and that is also a bedroom and a bathroom. Okay, so we've got the layout, it's basically a middle room, and then on each side of the middle room is a bedroom with a bathroom inside of it. Heather Monroe's article titled The Death of Virginia Rapp says that Rap and Arbuckle had apparently met in the past before, but apparently Rap wasn't a fan. Quote, Virginia was revolted by Fatty, who behaved in a crude and classless manner, end quote. Rap apparently didn't know that Fatty was gonna be there. Um, I I don't I don't really know. I couldn't find a lot of clear information as to how, if there was like a guest list to the party or if there was information on who was hosting the party. Um, I don't really know all about that but that's that was from that one article and I did see it somewhere else as well Um, but according to this and many other articles regardless of whether she knew that he was going to be there or not one thing that was constant across all these articles is that alcohol was flowing very heavily throughout this party and again this was during prohibition so alcohol was not readily available so anytime there was alcohol people were just slamming (laughs) slamming it down throwing it back enjoying it while they could have it this party kicked off around 10 30 a.m which starting early <laughs> for sure um and unfortunately rap started to feel unwell by that by the early afternoon from heather monroe's article virginia went in into fatty arbuckle suite and what happens next is debated remember the layout of the rooms you have a bedroom with a bathroom in it a long kind of like main party area, sitting room, and then the other side is another bedroom with a bathroom. So the bedrooms are not connected, they're not next to each other, they are completely on opposite sides of that center room where the party is happening, where presumably it is loud. Here is Fatty Arbuckle's version of the events of what happened. According to Arbuckle's versions of events, as reported in the ThoughtCo article mentioned earlier, Arbuckle says that he went to go back into his room to change clothing, and he found Virginia vomiting in his bathroom. He then apparently tried to help help her clean up and uh, brought her to his bed just to like lay her down, let her get to feeling better, all that good stuff. Um, He thought that she had just drank too much, was overly intoxicated, and then he went back to the party. He then apparently returned to the room a couple of minutes later to find her on the floor. He then helped her back up onto the bed and apparently went out to try and get help. Alrighty, so that is his version of events, and here is the other version of events from the PBS article. The other side of events comes from a witness named Maude Delmont. According to Maude, De Ma- Maude Delmont, which is her, Arbuckle forced Rap into the room instead of walking in, instead of her walking in there voluntarily. Maude said that she apparently heard Ar- Fatty Arbuckle say to Rap, "Quote." I've waited for you for five years, and now I've got you, end quote. Maud says that she heard screaming from the room. Maud said she tried to enter, but the door was locked. She said that eventually, Fatty Arbuckle opened the door. He was wearing pajamas, and he had a big smile on his face. After that, Delmont said that Virginia Rapp was on the bed, apparently in pain, yelling, I'm dying, I'm dying, he did it. Some sources also say that Uh, Virginia Rapp was on the bed naked and bleeding. Other sources say that she was tearing at her own clothing. From the ThoughtCo article, though, tearing at her clothes was apparently something that Virginia Rapp did regularly when she was drunk. Regardless of that fact, Arbuckle is saying, I tried to help her, she was overly intoxicated, I put her on the bed, she was puking, I got out, I came out to get help. Maude Delmont is saying, I heard screaming, I heard you say I've waited for you for five years and now I've got you, and I heard Virginia say I'm dying, I'm dying, he did it." Clearly two very different versions of events that have been going on. One event is saying I'm trying to be a helpful person, and the other implying that Fatty Arbuckle raped Virginia Rapp and now she's in pain saying that she's dying. Here's the problem though. The problem is Maude Delmont. From an article titled The Many Trials of Fatty Arbuckle in the Bar Association of San Francisco, Maude Delmont was someone with an extreme criminal record. Her record included extortion and fraud, she was well known to constantly lie, and later, when this goes to trial, she has to be omitted from the witness list because of her lies. Also, from Gina DeMuro's article in All That's Interesting, Delmont had a reputation, quote, for procuring girls for Hollywood parties, using those girls to instigate scandalous acts, and then blackmailing celebrities anxious to keep those acts quiet, end quote. And another problem with Maude Delmont is from Mick LaSalle's article in the in Datebook for the San Francisco Chronicle. Maude wasn't even apparently near the room when this happened. Okay, so remember how the rooms were set up? You have a bedroom on each side, they're not connected, and there's that middle room with the party that is presumably loud because there's a lot of people there? Well, apparently, Rap was needing to, or Virginia Rap was needing to throw up. She had originally gone to the opposite room, not Fatty Arbuckle's room, to use the restroom to go throw up. Virginia Rap found the door locked, so she had to resort going to Fatty Arbuckle's room. Why was the bathroom door locked in the other room? It was because Maude Delmont was in there having sex with an actor and director named Lowell Sherman. I mean, do what you want, like have sex in the bathroom, cool, but The problem with this is if she's having sex two rooms away and sex, (laughs) I mean, like there's gonna be some noise with sex and then Maude Delmont and this person are having sex in a bathroom, in a bedroom, and then outside that bedroom is the middle room with a loud party and Maude Delmont is saying she heard screams from outside of Fatty Arbuckle's door saying like Virginia was screaming in pain. How could, how could it be possible that Maude Delmont was in the bathroom having sex with someone and at the same time was outside of Fatty Arbuckle's door hearing screams? it, it. It's just not possible. From Heather Monroe's article, both Maude Delmont and then Al Shemsher arrived and tried to help. And Al was Virginia's manager and was also Fatty Arbuckle's friend. They tried to give her an ice bath, which made the pain worse. Maude Delmont also tried rubbing ice on Virginia Rapp's stomach, which I don't really understand how that's much different than an ice bath, but whatever, um, and also according to Maud Delmont, Arbuckle apparently threatened to throw Virginia Rapp out of the window for being so loud, but again, that's coming from Maud Delmont, who so far is a pretty shady character. Eventually, a doctor is called in, Virginia Rapp is examined around 4pm, and nothing is found to be wrong. Later, another doctor comes around 7pm, and Virginia is given a shot of morphine to help with the pain. A second doctor, Dr. Beardsley, came the next day and determined that her bladder was injured. He couldn't really figure out what would have made that happen but he thought that it was likely to be external forces. Her condition kept getting worse, and taking her to the hospital wouldn't be a good option because it would have involved the police. And again, remember at the time, this was during prohibition, alcohol was outlawed, and this party had a lot of alcohol. And these people were famous actors and actresses, so none of them were wanting to get the police involved. So instead, she was sent to a maternity hospital, which simply put, did not have the right resources there to help her for what was going on. Once there, her diagnosis was alcohol poisoning, her health declined over the next few days, she slipped into a coma, and then later died on September 9th. Alrighty, let's bring it back to our friend, Maud Delmont. From the same article in the Bar Association, on September 7th, Maud sent an interesting telegram. This telegram said, quote, We have Roscoe Arbuckle in a hole here. Chance to make money out of him, end quote. From that PBS article from earlier, Maude Delmont told the police that Arbuckle had raped Virginia and that it was his weight that ruptured her bladder. Al, again, who was Virginia's agent, made the story worse. He said that Fatty Arbuckle used a piece of ice to rape her, which then, through rumors, got got transformed to a Coke bottle or a wine bottle. However, there were other witnesses there that completely countered these rumors that said that Arbuckle was trying to use ice to help relieve her stomach pain. So, two days. Or one or two days after Virginia's death, depending on the source, Arbuckle was charged with manslaughter. Arbuckle's story, as described earlier, was that Virginia had come into the room, was complaining of shortness of breath, and began vomiting. He then tried to help her and eventually called the hotel doctor. From multiple sources, they these sources were saying that even before Fatty Arbuckle had gotten to trial, he was tried and convicted in the press. Rumors such as the coke bottle and the wine bottle, they were spread like wildfire. From the Independent article mentioned earlier, a week after his arrest, his movies were banned. Quote, Less than a week after his arrest, his films had been pulled from every screen in America." End quote. The Smithsonian Magazine article from earlier reported that his friends Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin vouched for his character and thought that the charges were false. So you have these conflicting stories, you have an unreliable character, Maude Delmont, and then you have these big big names like Charlie Chaplin saying there's no way he would have done this. And obviously you want a full investigation to be done, you don't want to take people at their word, but when you take into consideration everything that we know so far, it's kind of seeming more likely than not that Arbuckle's story is the true version rather than Maude Mod, uh, Mod Delmont story. And then from Gina DeMuro's article, one reporter said that the scandal, quote, had sold more papers than the, seeking, than the sinking of the Lusitania, end quote. This only, I, I mentioned that just to go to show the heyday that the reporters were having with this. Some of the articles I read were talking about how this story was written about purely to sell articles and rumors were made up. No one really cared about the truth of the matter. It was that This famous Hollywood actor was accused of rape and charged with manslaughter and now this other actress is dead. There wasn't a lot of value of truth as to what was happening, it was just how can we sell the most papers? From that Smithsonian article, another character named Matthew Brady who was the San Francisco district attorney at the time, quote, saw this case as the perfect opportunity to jumpstart his career in politics, end quote. So again, we have someone else who's wanting to take advantage of this opportunity and wanting to do this rather than get to the truth of the matter. Matthew Brady's star witness, Maude Delmont, was giving him troubles. She had to be omitted from the witness list because of her constantly changing story and lies. Regardless of this, he still goes to, he still takes this to trial. Fatty Arbuckle's lawyers introduced medical evidence showing that Virginia Rapp had a chronic bladder condition and that her autopsy concluded, quote, there were no marks of violence on the body and no signs that the girl had been attacked in any way, end quote. And also another interesting thing from that same article was that Fatty Arbuckle's defense team had witnesses ready to testify who had damaging info- they had damaging information about Virginia Rapp and Virginia Rapp's past, but Fatty Arbuckle wouldn't let them testify, quote, out of respect for the dead, end quote. You know, you want this to go to trial, you want there to be a trial based on the facts, but I think that says something about Fatty Arbuckle's character is that he wasn't wanting character assassination of Virginia Rapp because she wasn't there to defend herself. The doctor from the hotel from earlier, he testified that Fatty Arbuckle did not try to sexually assault her, but the prosecutor got the point dismissed as hearsay. At the end of the first trial, and yes, I say first trial because there are multiple uh, there are multiple at the end of the first trial the jurors voted 10 to 2 for acquittal so they were deadlocked so hung jury went to a second trial after the second trial another deadlock the third trial Arbuckle finally let the witnesses with information about Virginia Rapp testify and they testified that Virginia Rapp quote suffered previous abdominal attacks, drank heavily and often disrobed at parties after doing so, was promiscuous and had an illegitimate daughter, end quote. Which, I mean, having an illegitimate daughter and being promiscuous, like, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not super relevant, but the fact that she had previous abdominal attacks, drank heavily and often disrobed at parties after doing so is pretty good circumstantial evidence to help reinforce Fatty Arbuckle's Um, story. After about five minutes of deliberation, he was acquitted. And then four of the five minutes were spent writing a statement, and I'm going to read part of it right now. Quote, acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel like a great injustice has been done to him. There was not the slightest proof adduced to connect him in any way with the commission of the crime. He was mainly throughout the case and told a straightforward story which we all believe. We wish him success and hope that the American people will take the judgment of 14 men and women that Roscoe Arbuckle is, is entirely innocent and free of all blame." End quote. After the trial, he was banned from appearing on screen even though he had been acquitted, but that... Decision was changed eight months later. He changed his screen name to William B. Goodrich, which when you shorten it is Will Be Good. So kind of interesting. Um, and he worked behind the scenes on movies for his friends who remained loyal to him throughout the whole, tr- throughout the whole trial. Unfortunately, he was barely making any money and he had spent around $700,000 on his defense over the trials. This was kind of before he was... He was still making a lot of money before all this happened, but this was before his like million dollar deal was supposed to go into place, from what I could tell from the dates. So he had a lot of money before the trial, but it wasn't like he had millions and millions and millions of dollars. So he spent a lot of money on the trial, and then a little more than a decade later, he died of a heart attack in his hotel room at the age of 46 on June 29th, 1933. And then from that San Francisco Bar article, Matthew Brady, who was the prosecutor, he never achieved the political fame he wanted. His conduct during the trial greatly damaged the office of the prosecutor. And by this, I mean, like, focusing on his political career rather than focusing on the actual merits of the trial. I'm going to wrap up this scandal with a quote from that San Francisco Bar article. Quote, Most troublingly, Although Arbuckle was certainly innocent of the murder-slash-manslaughter charge, in the course of the trial his defense team resorted to a familiar strategy to present alternatives, albeit entirely reasonably ones, for the cause of Virginia Rapp's death while simultaneously and deliberately trashing her private life. Few protections existed to shield sexual assault victims in 1921, and there were none at all when the alleged victim was deceased." End quote. And that concludes Hollywood's first scandal, Fatty Arbuckle. First of all, I hope you enjoyed it. This is such a, it's such a hard case to hear about because because ultimately someone did die. And at the end of the day, we will truly never know what happened because it's one story against another. There, you know, there are no security cameras. There was not 10 witnesses who saw what was happening. It was Arbuckle's word against Maude Delmont's word. However, when you look at the evidence and Maude Delmont's character, her past of wanting to extort people, wanting to start rumors about them, it presents a story of presumably an innocent man being tried, convicted, and having his successful career ruined so Maude Delmont could try to make money off of him. However, you can't completely ignore the fact that There is a possible sexual assault rape element that happened that resulted in the death of Virginia Rapp. My personal opinion, what I think I, based on the evidence, I'm inclined to believe Fatty Arbuckle's version of events, but I'm not going to take a 100% stance on that because I don't want to discount the possibility that there could have been a sexual assault element because there definitely could have been. There's no way we can completely rule it out, but based on the evidence that was presented, it is highly, highly unlikely that that happened. Okay, yeah, so that was Fatty Arbuckle's scandal, um, Hollywood's first scandal, and now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a scandal sent in by another listener. They're okay with me using their name, so I will say it at the end. I'm just gonna read straight from the email. I grew up in a small central Illinois town named Leroy. A friend of mine was working at a convenience store in a nearby town in 1991 and was shot and killed for $60 that was in the cash register. After a few months, the police arrested a person by the name of Jamie Snow. Jamie has always maintained his innocence, and has his entire family as witnesses saying that he was home on that Easter Sunday the entire day and the entire night. There were two eyewitnesses whose stories drastically changed and said the things about what they saw that, once investigated, would have been impossible. Jamie also took a lie detector test and passed it with flying colors, yet he was tried and convicted and has spent the past 30 years in prison. He has been working with the Innocence Project for many years and I just saw that a few weeks ago his team has been granted access to thousands of pages from the original investigation which, for some reason, they were never allowed to see until the judge ruled in their favor on September 8th, I'm assuming September 8th of this year. I consider this a pretty good scandal because there's a lot of cover-up from what happened. And then also, the original officer to arrive on the scene was well-known to be a dirty cop and somehow, somehow played favors with the witnesses in order to get them to testify the man that they saw was Jamie Snow. This same cop was later convicted of breaking into women's houses and raping them while they were sleeping. That officer is now currently in prison. Yikes. That is a good scandal and that scandal comes from my father (laughs) hey dad thanks for sending that in yeah so for those of you who are not my dad I remember him telling me a little bit about this like mm, I don't know maybe six or seven years ago and I was always just super fascinated by it And I didn't know the part about the fact that the police officer who was originally the first on scene is now in jail for sneaking into women's houses and raping them. And then the fact that, I mean, people can maintain their innocence their whole lives and still be guilty, but the fact that Jamie has maintained his innocence, there have been thousands of documents that were, for some reason, never turned over to his team, the fact that his family... Says that he was home all day and night, which I mean, like, you could probably get your family to lie for you, but your entire family to lie for you? I mean, I guess you could, but considering it's not just, it doesn't sound like it's just, you know, his mom or his brother, but it's his entire family that was like, no, he was here on Easter, that seems pretty convincing to me. And when I say it's a good scandal, I mean, it's it's good that, it, that attention is being brought to it because from what it's sounding like, there is an innocent person who is in prison and that is not, it's just not okay. While his team should have gotten those documents 30 years ago, I'm glad that they're finally getting them. It seems like there needs to be a lot of justice done in this case, and my dad also wanted me to mention that this happened uh, in Bloomington, Illinois, which is a huge area in central Illinois. So if you're from the area or if you are around the area or you know people in the area, definitely talk about it because it is an important case that needs attention brought to it. So thank you for sending that scandal in. That is a super interesting one. And if you have your own scandal that you want sent in, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. To keep up with the latest and then see pictures from the Fatty Arbuckle case, follow us on Instagram at scandal101podcast, on Twitter at scandal101pod, You can find us on Facebook if you search Scandal 101 Podcast. Our website is scandal101podcast.podbean.com. And again, send in your scandals. If you have an episode suggestion, also send them to the email as well. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please send in your scandals to the email. This has been episode 20 of Scandal 101.